Hey, wow. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> hey, that's a good testimony for a place for us to start today. We, what we believe at Eastview is we're not enough without Jesus. We, we need him. We're not good on our own. He makes us who we are, and that's what we sing about, and that's what we preach about. Some of you are still going, I've been blown away by the wind and the waves outside. You know, I'm really glad I didn't uh, fix my hair today, so <laughs> I'm just going to say, Happy Mother's Day, everybody. I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the moms here that are in the place, those of you watching online. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Happy Mother's Day to my mom, Susie, in Indianapolis. Happy Mother's Day to my wife, Sarah, and especially to my um, daughters-in-law, my beautiful daughters-in-law, Monica, and especially this week, Jessica, who lives in Arizona with Caleb, and gave me a wonderful gift. I just happened to have a picture. <laughs> There's my brand-new granddaughter. Mila Joy is her name, and uh, we're just so glad to celebrate that. And so all of you in here, if you're a mom here today, would you stand up? We just want to welcome you and celebrate you. Give you a round of applause for all you've done. Thank you, guys. Thank you, moms. Love you all. Love you all. If you're at home, I hope that you stood up and you clapped for your mom. And wherever you're watching, uh, we do want to give you a special gift today. So on your way out, you are going to receive a rose from Eastview Christian Church. Every mom in the place, uh, the ushers will have that for you. We just want to have a remembrance that we think you're special. We love you. Here's a rose that says Happy Mother's Day. Hope you guys all get that. Uh, if you're watching at home, uh, Google uh, photos of roses and <laughs> just look at it. And that's from us to you. All right. <laughs> well, since moms love kids, let's begin with an old children's church song that I sang growing up. And, uh, but also, I led it when I was the everything pastor down in First Christian Church in Kissimmee. Uh, yes, that's right. There was a time when I was in charge of nursery through high school, which means that I spent many Sundays uh, leading kids in children's church songs. That was kind of my job. And, uh, and there's, there's only, uh, every Sunday for about seven years, I led, I led second through fifth graders in children's church songs. And there's three kind of rules, the reason you kind of sing these songs. Number one, you want to teach kids about God and about how to worship Him. Number two, you want to burn off as much energy as you possibly can for the lesson that's coming up. And number three, you want to hold the attention of the pastor, I mean the kids. Uh, so we sang every song that there was. I always thought about this this week. What would happen if I came in here and I said, okay, let's all stand up, and I made you clap in rhythm and twist and jump and turn around and do all this stuff. I'm in right, out right, upright, down right, happy all the time. You guys would be like, I'm out. I'm out. Oh, home, you'd be like, I'm getting another cup of coffee right now, all right? But this song that I'm thinking about today that leads into our teaching time is an all-time children's church great song demonstrated by this simple symbol. This is a candle. It's a lamp. This is this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And there's different verses. You know, this, this, with this uh, lamp, I'm going to hide it under a bushel? No. Right? Some of you guys, maybe you guys would dance and... <laughs> won't let Satan... It out. I'm going to let it shine, right? Shine all over normal town. We have to make up words because it, you know, we have two syllables or three syllables. Normal town. I want to let it shine till Jesus comes. That's the song that we sang. And as we continue God's invitation to get closer to him today, 
As we come to Exodus chapter 25 again, we're going to start with verse 31. Um, God has a light. It's not a little light, but it's a light that's, that's caused to shine into the tabernacle, this old, historic, uh, ancient, holy house of God, this tent that he built in the wilderness. And we're going to need some light if we're going to go into this place that's covered with all these tapestries and all these veils. There's got to be a light. And it's a practical thing, but it's also a picture of what God does in this dark world. So if you're watching today or if you're visiting today, maybe your mom said, please go to church with me today, and you did that. Uh, but you're not sure about Jesus. You're not sure about why you're here. You're not sure about <laughs> Exodus 25 for sure. I promise you, if you stay tuned, this, th there is a message for you today that has to do with this little light of mine, but this big light of God's in Exodus chapter 25. Let's read about it. I know I'm going to start into this, and you're going to start going, wow, what is this about? Trust me. Stick with me. This is the word of the Lord. Here's what it says in Exodus 25, 31. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches on, uh, of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and a flower. A calyx is just a bud, a flower bud, and a flower on one branch. And three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and their flowers, a calyx of one piece with it. I'm going to stop right here. Why does God care about all this stuff? I don't know, but what the Bible teaches is there's something eternal going on here. This is why he says to Moses, listen, I'm giving you these instructions because there's something heavenly. This is a shadow of heavenly stuff. Back to our calyxes. On the lampstand, verse 34 itself, there should be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes, their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamp shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs, its, their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. Now, for most of you, just turn the page. I want to just read a couple of verses from uh, uh, chapter 27. Scroll down if you're using that device, or just listen if you're too tired to turn a page. Exodus 27, verse 20 these two simple verses give us how we're going to light this lamp. You shall command the people of Israel that they shall bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may be regularly set up to burn in the tent of meeting outside of the veil that's before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Let's pray. God, would you come in this place now? people who believe and believe for their whole lives, and people who are not sure, people who are doubtful, people who are scared, people who have lost confidence, people who are fearful of the future or of the past. God, would you come in this place as we've invited you through our praises, through our prayers, and would you shine? You shine in our hearts. Would you break through the darkness? And I pray the day 
God, you would break through the darkness of someone's heart who is far from you, that you would shine the light of your son Jesus in them. Today they would see the light. So God, would you just use everything that I say? I know that I'm going to mess stuff up, but would you use it by your Holy Spirit's power, by the power of your son Jesus in his name and his resurrection? And would you come in this place and speak to us? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to use the phrase there in verse 37 that we just read to kind of guide us through our sermon today and our talk today. And you see it there right in verse 37. It says, to give light on the space in front of it. Practically speaking, that's what this, uh, oh, there's a picture of my granddaughter again. (laughs) Practically speaking, that's what this lampstand is all about. The lampstand is to give light for the holy place. Remember, the holy place is the front part of the tabernacle tent. It's 20 by 10 cubits, which means it's, it's, uh, I got it written down here because I'm not very good at math, 30 feet by 15 feet. It's a very small area, but it's covered with all kinds of curtains and tapestries. If you went inside of a tent that was covered up the way that this one was, and you didn't have light, you'd be stumbling around in the darkness. How can you see the table of showbread we talked about last week? You have this light. You have this candlestick, some versions call it, but it's a lampstand, and I want to make sure that we understand where this light is. But, but keep this in your mind. Why do we have a lampstand? To give light. There's a sermon in there somewhere. Hopefully, we'll get around to it. I want you to get, again, with me to the closeness of God. Remember, we've said this the whole time, and if you, if you want to hear something from God today, here it is. God wants to be with you. God wants to be close to you. He's taken great steps to do that. That's why he built this place, so we could enter through this veil. We deal with our sin at the altar of burnt offering. We deal with our impurities at the basin, and we're baptized. And, uh, and then we come into this first part, of this tent here. Okay, you know, I was never an artist, but you guys get it. And here on this side is the table of showbread. If you turn to your left, you see the candlestick or the lampstand. That's where it's located. And, and as we've done every, every time uh, throughout this whole series, we have a replica of it that's been built again by our good friend Mark Cochran. Many thanks to him for putting this together to give us an idea of what this looks like. This is a golden lampstand. It has a base, and and again, I'm not going to read all these things, but it has a base, has a stem. The main stem goes up, and there's three branches on each side. They're decorated with uh, awesome blossoms. (laughs) You didn't know this is from Australia, right? You didn't know that. (laughs) I must be hungry. They're decorated with almond blossoms and flowers and all kinds of buds, very ornate, And then on the top was where they would keep these oil lamps burning. We read about that in chapter 27. The reason I read that is because this thing is worthless unless you have oil with a little wick standing out of it that you can light, and it gives light to the whole place. Look at this thing. It's of pure gold. Uh, uh, um, What uh, the text says about the measurement here is that it was a talent of pure gold, 75 pounds of pure gold, beaten all out of one piece. That is the lampstand that we have uh, in the tabernacle of God. Now, uh, unfortunately for uh, uh, us, we don't really know what the lampstand looked like because um, 
a lot of people have a, different, a bunch of different repro, uh, you know, reproductions of it, and they're trying to make this. So this is our reproduction of it, but actually, I can show you something really interesting. I can show you a picture of the lampstand. Uh, if you guys remember in history in 70 AD, there was a guy by the name of Titus who destroyed Jerusalem and overthrew Jerusalem and plundered the Jewish people and their temple in 70 AD. When he died uh, in around 81 AD, about 10 years later, his brother, who was then the, the Caesar, built this arch. This is called, creatively, the Titus Arch. All right? It's still there today. This is a picture that I think that Sarah took on our 30th wedding anniversary. This is um, the Titus Arch. It stands there at the end of the Forum, the ruins of, of Rome. Who cares, Mike? Why are we talking about Titus? Because they depicted on this thing, they depicted the scene of him and his men carrying away the plunder of Israel. So it is, it is like really not even debated amongst archaeologists and historians that this right here, you see that, is a depiction of the menorah. That's the Hebrew word for lampstand, menorah. So you can see it. I'm going to kind of draw and mess this ancient photo up. But you can see this is what it looks like. We actually have a representation. Now, was that the one that was in the tabernacle with Moses in the Old Testament? We don't know. Probably not. Was it the one that Solomon had in the temple? We don't know. Probably not. What we do know, it was probably exactly made the way that we've read about this 3,500 years ago. It's really awesome when I get to share with you guys a photo that brings to life what's going on. And this, tab this, this instrument of the tabernacle was meant to continually shine, to continually have light coming out of it. That's what we just read in chapter 27. I want to remind you, I'm not making this stuff up, okay? That it's supposed to be uh, regularly set up. Aaron and his son shall tend to it from evening to morning. In other words, this is the eternal flame. It's never going to go out. The menorah represents God's constant light and influence in this dark place called the holy place. Today our focus on the lampstand is giving light, but the olive oil offerings from Exodus 27 that served as fuel for burning the lampstand deserve some brief attention. Actually, when I started this sermon, I'll just confess to you, when I started this sermon this week, I thought this was going to be a sermon about the Holy Spirit, and it is, uh, but really it's going to be about light more than that. But I, wanna, I just got to mention that oil in the, old, in the Old Testament and throughout the whole Bible is a thing. Oil is a thing, all right? And it usually represents the Holy Spirit. Here are the, here are the main uses for oil in the Bible. Number one, it's used medicinally, okay? It, it was used uh, for medicine. They poured on wounds and sores and, and all kinds of healing kind of things. We get this in James 5, 14, when, when the Bible says that if you're sick, anybody's sick among you, call the elders, have them anoint you with oil. We're not sure if that oil represents the Holy Spirit or represents healing because it was used medicinally. Uh, probably a combination of both. It was also used as lo lotion and ointments. Remember David's song in Psalm 23? The Lord has anointed my head with what? Oil. They used to pour oil on their heads to keep themselves from drying out and on their skin. It was used as a lotion and ointment, sometimes made perfumed that way. It was also, and maybe more importantly, a Holy Spirit anointing. When, when any, whenever someone had oil poured on their head in the Old Testament by a prophet specifically, it indicated God is calling and setting aside this person specially to do a work of the Lord. 
The Holy Spirit has come upon them. I've got 1 Samuel 16, 14 written down there. Remember, Samuel opens the flask, dumps it on David's head, and the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. And so this representation, prophets, priests, and kings anointed by the word. Watch the word, uh, uh, by, what's the uh, word for anointed in the Old Testament? Meshiach. We get the word Messiah from it. We get the word Christ from that. The anointed one. Jesus, when he comes and says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one who's been anointed, prophet, priest, and king. That's a whole other sermon, okay? But I just went off a little tangent. And then, of course, uh, oil was used to light lamps. And, and again, very simple. Just pour some oil in, in, in a, a container of any kind. All the Israelite people had a lamp in their tent with a little wick sticking out the end, and they just lit it, and that saturated uh, wick would burn. And that's the way that they, they did lights back in the day. So just like, uh, again, so this, this lamp was going to continually be lit by the offerings of the people. The people had to keep bringing olive oil. Imagine if I said every week, hey, guys, thanks for your giving. We'd like to continue to ask you to bring olive oil next week because we've got to keep this thing going. All right? Because it had to continually burn. I do believe our tithes and offerings are kind of the same there. We literally keep the ministry fires of Eastview burning by our gifts that we give weekly here at Eastview Christian Church. But this is not a giving sermon. Let's move on. Because this, this giving light to the holy place is a picture of giving light to the world. That's why God has this light. Yes, it's practical. Yes, the, the priest would be stumbling around in the holy place trying to find the bread and the altar of incense. They'd probably burn themselves. They need a light, and practically this, these, these seven lights of this, of this lampstand would give them incredible light. But do you understand but that there's a reason beyond having light in the holy place that, uh, that God created this instrument? Why was there light in the holy place? Because it's dark. You remember uh, the beginning of creation? Remember God said his very first words? Uh, chapter 1, verse 3 of Genesis, what do he say? Let there be, right, why? Why did we have to have light? Because it was dark. <laughs> you couldn't see anything. The earth was formless and void, and darkness hovered over the face of the deep. It was in complete darkness, and there's only one cure for darkness, whether literally or spiritually. Listen to this. There's only one cure for darkness, whether literally or spiritually, and that is light. There is no darkness that can overcome light. So God spoke to give light to the world. Very first thing he did, this world is dark. I'm going to give it some light. And he said, let there be light. And what? There was light. And for the very first time, the world woke up from its darkness. So John the Apostle, as he starts writing the story of Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, if you want to see a very, very cool kind of theological comparison, read Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1. Because John says Jesus coming into the world is a lot like the creation because he was with God at creation and he was God. But he goes on to say in John chapter 1 verses 4 and 5, look at this. In him was life, talking about Jesus, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What picture can I give of Jesus coming into the world? I can use the same thing that happened in creation. The world is dark, let there be light. The world is dark from sin, let there be Jesus. 
And he came into the world to light this dark world. Guys, I think we can all, but people hardly agree on anything anymore. But you and we can agree on this. This is a dark world. It's a dark world. The darkness of sin has done more damage than we can even imagine. Sin expresses itself through mental pain, emotional pain, 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 suffering, backaches, headaches, heart attacks, cancer. Not to even mention this pandemic. If you don't think this pandemic's real, then maybe you don't know somebody who's in the hospital struggling for their life like many of us do. Maybe you've not seen pictures from India where people are dying 25,000 people a day. And uh, it's, it's dark. But it's, you know, India is a dark place anyway. It's very smoky all the time. You look on your weather app and you go, uh, 95 and smoke. And I'm like, smoke is not a weather. But it is there. There's even more smoke now because they're burning bodies in their tradition after they die. It was a dark place. You would think of dark places, go to our, our partners in Africa and watch them stand for miles in line to get a meal. It's a dark time, not even just to mention the, the evil hearts and the actions of humanity and how sin expresses itself in our loneliness, in our emptiness, in our soullessness. There are people here who have been abused because of the evil of sin. It's very dark. Some of you have been left out. We live in a world that is dim and soulless when sexuality, we, we exploit people for their sexuality, and then we condemn them when they are exposed. And we wonder why we're in a mess in this world. It's a dark place, guys. Why is there racism? Why do we not like people who are just not like us? Why is that? Because sin. Because sin has overcome this world with darkness. There's no moral compass anymore. There are broken dreams and broken trust and broken families and broken promises. Many of us in here today right now are experiencing the darkness of fear all around us. I, I, I walk out of the door today and I'm like, thank you, Lord. This is a perfect illustration of our world. It's rainy and dark and windy. What are we going to do with this darkness? Well, I've got good news for you today. No matter how dark your world is, if you're watching at home and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I've got good news for you today because into the darkness comes a light. Jesus says this in John he reiterates it in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's the word of the Lord today. You may live in a, a dark world, but you don't have to walk in it because the light has come. The light of Jesus has shined in this place and in this world. Christ followers, I want to encourage you today to focus on the light. Back in the 1900s, again, when I was youth ministry and children's ministry, taking some fifth and sixth graders to a place in Kentucky called Mammoth Cave. It's a really cool place. And uh, what they do is they, they have this deal where they take you down these lighted pathways into a, it's called Mammoth Cave because it's, it's mammoth. It's huge. I mean, it's the size of like, a, a, like an arena. You get down there in the dark, dank underworld, and you're going down. I don't know how far you go down. But at, at some point, I've got, I get, like, I got 10 or 12, like, 5th and 6th graders. And they're like, okay, grab your kids, get ready, because we're going to shut off all the lights to show you how dark it is, right? You're like, okay, kids, don't freak out. I'm right here. Da -da -da. It's not going to be that bad. And then they kill the lights, and it's like 
you can't see anything. I mean, it's, if you're, it feels like darkness is dripping off your face. And then in the middle of this speech, the guy's still talking. You get these ear things going. And he, and he I forget whether he lit a match or just lit a small little uh, flashlight. And I'm telling you, when you see that, you're like, whoa, that is so bright. It's so dark, but that is so bright. Christians, can I encourage you something today? The menorah has been placed in the holy place so that you can see the light of God in the darkness. The darkness of sin should not be a surprise to us biblically. Guys, we, we keep thinking and we're looking around this world and going, oh, it's getting dark. Oh, it's getting scary. Oh, there's so much sin. Oh, there's so much evil. And in our minds, even as Christians, when we know what the answer is in the Scripture, we keep thinking, maybe some politician will come along. Maybe some purpose will come along. Maybe some hashtag will come along. Maybe something will come along and change and take all the darkness away. It's not biblical. There's only one thing that dispels the darkness, and that's the light. And there's only one thing that dispels the darkness of sin, and that's the light of Jesus Christ in the world. The only way, amen? The only way that we're going to overcome the darkness of this world is to shine the light of Jesus in this place. Guys, listen, the brighter, the darker this world becomes, the brighter Jesus and his church becomes. And that's our task now. We shouldn't, I, I, just, I just get so discouraged that Christians going, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The world is so sinful and so dark and evil. And I, uh, 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 uh. It's like, just calm down. Look at the light. It may be mammoth cave dark, but stare at the light because the light shines in the darkness and it cannot be overcome. Amen? Amen. If you're a non-follower of Jesus Christ, if your work, world is dark today, there is a light. Listen to this. If your world is dark today, there is a light and his name is Jesus. And he came into the world to give light into your darkness. If you're watching here at home, wherever you're at, if you hear my voice and you text hello to that number on the screen, we will talk with you about how to get light in your dark world. No, pastor, it's too dark. It's never too dark for Jesus. He will make it happen. And like this lampstand, Jesus too is filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time here, but just this quick mention of those verses I've got there for you in your notes. Isaiah 61.1, Jesus read this at the beginning of his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Connection with spirit and oil. In Acts 10, they talk about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the oil that keeps this flame burning. But there's something even greater about this lampstand. If, you, if I just stopped right now, you go, that's a pretty good sermon. Dark world, lampstand in the dark holy place. God speaks in the dark world of existence. Jesus comes into the dark world of sin. Mic drop, see you later. By the way, I can never do a mic drop with this thing. Or I break my face. Things I think about. <laughs> There's something even better. This menorah, this, this seven-branch uh, candle stand, lamp stand, is a picture of Jesus for sure, but did you know it's also a picture of me and you? See, God shines in our, his light in our dark worlds like he did the holy place 3,500 years ago, but this lamp stand is really a picture of me and you. <laughs> it's not just, you know, when we say God wants us to be closer 
It's not just so we can hang out in his living room and eat bread at the table of showbread. He wants to involve us in what he's doing. I don't know why God would ever involve me or any of you in what he's doing. But he wants to. That's how close he wants to be. That's how much he wants to be with you. He not only wants to have you in his presence and fellowshipping with him, he says he wants to be at your side saying, let's go do this. And that's why I'm sure that this lampstand is a picture of what he wants us to be. Remember in Matthew 5, you remember 16 months ago at our influence conference, and we said that you are salt and light? Well, Jesus himself says it in Matthew 5, 14. You, if kingdom people, those who follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute, you just said that you are the light of the world. What do you mean? Yes, that's what he means. I am the light of the world, but you also, filled with the same Holy Spirit fire that I am, you are the light of the world. And like this ancient lampstand giving light to the holy place, you and I are called to give light to our holy places. And you might be thinking, you don't know my house or my job or my team or my street. I don't have a holy place. And I would contend that this, this little tent in the desert that was just made of, you know, tapestries and skins. There was nothing holy about it until it was filled with the light of God. What am I saying? What I'm saying is that any place that you shine, that's a holy place. And the reason that God has developed all of us and turned all of us into lampstands is so that we can shine in our locations and turn them in to holy places. If you don't think that your school is a holy place, shine. If you don't think that your neighborhood is a holy place, shine. If you don't think your house is a a holy place, shine. Your marriage, shine. Your parents, shine. Your kids, shine. If you're playing with your friends, you're working out, you're at the gym, shine. Amen? God has called us to be the reflection of his light shining in our dark worlds into the dark worlds around us. Philippians 2.15, I've got that written down there for you. But this passage says that we live in the middle of a crooked and wicked generation among whom we shine like, like lights in the universe. What can we do about the darkness in our world? We shine. And it's true not just for individuals. I am challenging you all to go to your holy places, to your outer parts of the tents, wherever they are, and shine. But you know what? The Lord's called us as a church to shine. Did you know that the church is compared to this lampstand? You probably are way ahead of me because you guys are Bible smart people. But Revelation 1, you remember the scene before the throne of God? And chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 12. And uh, what does John see? Behold, before the throne are seven lampstands. Huh. I guess there is a heavenly meaning to this old thing from the tabernacle way back in the day. There's something heavenly about this. And these seven lampstands, we find out, yes, are the presence of God. Yes, the Holy Spirit of God. But they represent the Spirit's presence and the fire and the light in the seven churches of Asia. Which means that those lampstands, it makes it sound like there is a lampstand for every church in the world which means that there's a lampstand for Eastview Christian Church. A lampstand that burns with the Spirit's presence and fire to light the dark world around us. 
I just got back from a vision planning week and prayer and scripture and dreaming and seeking and palm trees and sun and prayer. <laughs> but here's what I can tell you. Here's what I can tell you to expect in the coming months at Eastview Christian Church. Lord willing, we are not in fear mode. We are not in, oh no, it's so dark mode. Your pastor, the elders, our staff are not overwhelmed with the evil of this world. We are overwhelmed by the light of Jesus. And by the Lord's will, we're going to shine. That's what he's called us to do. As the children's song says, we're going to shine all over Bloomington Normal. We're going to shine all over India, all over El Salvador and Kenya and Haiti and Morocco. We're going to shine all over the world. We're going to shine all over online. We're going to shine until Jesus comes, until everyone has a chance to see the light of Jesus. We're going to outlove and outserve the darkness. Here's what Jesus says. That's what he wants us to do. In that same passage where he says, you're the light of the world, here's what he says. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. The lampstand is just another part of the holy tent that illustrates how God wants to be with us. I hope you see the, I hope you see the progression. From Genesis, let there be light, to this light for the tabernacle, to the light of the world that we have seen in Jesus Christ, to the light that's within us, and how we're called to be lampstands for him. After 36 years of ministry, this simple message is clearer to me than it's ever been before. And I can still illustrate it the same way. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. May that be true of us this week. Amen.